Thank you for joining us for Sermons on Demand from Friendship Grace Brethren Church. We provide these videos as a way to share the pulpit messages and teachings offered at Friendship Grace Brethren Church. If you find these videos a helpful resource, please drop us a note at info at friendshipgracebrethren.com. Now open your Bibles and get ready to dig into the Word of God. Anybody have any questions about anything that we've covered or not covered so far? Yes. Yes. When Abraham sent his servant back to uh, Laban, it seemed like Laban might have been have might have known the true God at that point. And I wondered if that if I was reading it wrong or or something. But I did not write down. Oh, well, here it is. It's um it is <laughs> chapter twenty four. Yeah, well, in, well, in verse 30, 30 and 31, the, uh, Laban uses, come in, O blessed of the Lord. And I went, I didn't think Laban knew the Lord. Yeah, what we know is that Abraham's dad was a pagan. Um, I don't know that we can read any spiritual truth into how Laban answered him. Um, I don't know that we can say that he knew. He probably knew who God was. Whether he was a follower of God, that's a different story. Um, but we, we know for certain that Abraham's dad was a pagan. And right. I would suspect that, that Laban was as well. Um... They had household idols, so that was just so confusing right. to me. Right, and when when Rebecca and uh, um, no, yeah, Re Rebecca and uh, Rachel, Rachel, uh, Rebecca and Rachel, Leah, Leah and Rachel, Leah, Leah and Rebecca, mm. Leah and Rachel. Right. Holy cow! <laughs> it's all right. I always get them confused myself. Two hours in the two we different know, gender in the same family. Yeah, no. we know that that when they left with the with the kids and the flocks, that they stole idols. So mm -hmm. I I think I think you can safely argue they may have known who God was, but did not have a relationship, did not have a dependence on God. Got it. That just shocked me. It caught me this time. Yeah. And that might have even been a uh, a derogatory way of saying that too. Well, it's typed with the with the Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Yeah. So that's why my eye. Yeah, it's it's Yahweh. It's clearly in the in the text. It's Yahweh, but um, that might have been a derogatory thing that he was saying of to him. Oh, you huh. who are blessed of the Lord, come in. Could be. Could be. Yep. Okay. Anybody else have a question, comment before we move on? Okay. Read Genesis 15, 1 through 6. 
did Abraham sin in questioning the Lord? After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram, for I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is uh, Eliezer uh, of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord uh, came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and the number of the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he, it, and he accounted it to him as righteousness. So, did Abraham sin in questioning the Lord? I don't think so. Because at, at the end of that short discussion, it says that he believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Right, but I think that he questioned before that. He believed at the end. I don't think so. I don't think that God minds if we ask him what's going on because he knows our brains are puny. Let me begin by saying that uh, at some point every Christian is going to ask God, what the heck? Um, we just don't understand things. I think that's a reality. Um, we don't see as much of the timeline is God, so it doesn't make sense often. We don't know what the plan is, so it doesn't make sense often. But in this present case, God or, had already told Abraham that God would uh, give give the land to him and his offspring. So, so Abraham's operating under a promise from God. Sarah and Abraham were old by the new post-flood post uh, standards of age. So it's easy to understand how Abram uh, could not uh, conceive of how he uh, would have his offspring to inherit the land. I guess that was a poor choice of words. He couldn't conceive. Didn't intend that to be a pun there, but it was. Was it okay for Abraham to say that he didn't understand how God could keep his promise since he had no offspring? If you, if you go to Sermon Central today and you do a search and look at the sermons on this particular passage, the vast majority of them will be saying that Abraham didn't have faith. He, he demonstrated a lack of faith. And of course, lack of faith is, is a sin, right? So, so my question is, is it okay for us to question God when he tells us something and we don't get it? We don't get how the promise is possible even. I disagree with all those sermons about it's the lack of faith. Because even as a parent, when we ask or tell our children something and they don't understand, and they ask us questions, do we get automatically angry and say they're bad or they're sinning? We, we explain. I don't think that, I don't get any sense that this was something that he did wrong. But a lot of people do. And that's yep. why I asked the question. Yep. If Abraham... I think it's... If I think it's up to God's time, not our time. 
Well, that's true. But do we always believe that? Right. Don't don't we don't we say that um, prayer and our conversations or meditations with and about God is a way of reconciling our heart to His heart? Yeah. So wouldn't this really be this uh, another part of the same thing? Mm-hmm. We're asking God to help us to understand. I agree. And He may never answer that, but. Lack of understanding is not sin. And if Abraham sinned here, then Peter sinned when he was questioning God about going to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Throughout Scripture, there's um, you know, a number of instances where people question God. For real? I mean, if it's a miracle, you know, I don't know. If I was at the, the wedding the Canaan wedding, and he turned that water into wine, I'd be like, huh? How is that possible? And I don't think that's a sin to to question, to, to have a lack of understanding, and, you know, say, explain that, Lucy. Right. Um, I, I agree. But here here's the question I have to continue to ask then. What was in Abraham's heart when he disagreed? That's what we don't know. Yeah. When he questioned a, when he questioned God, we don't know what was in his heart. You also have to look at it this way: that Abraham was already operating twelve plus years since the promise was made to him, and nothing had happened. Right. You know, by this time, Ishmael's already twelve-ish. You know, so it's like, okay, well, who are you talking about, God? Because this, you know, Sarah's old. No. Yeah. And and that's what I what I want us to see is where Abraham was and how he was dealing with it, and try to put our cell our our own our own context on it. God makes us a promise, and as Linda points out, twelve years goes by, and it it's even harder now to see how God could keep the promise. Are we able to then still? listen to God and and be taken outside and see the stars and, and say, yeah, I believe. That That's the point I want to make, is I, I, I agree. He was not sinning. I don't believe. But I don't, I don't know what was in his heart. So I, I can't say that he wasn't sinning, but I don't think he was. Um, and and there have been lots of times in my life where, where I... I didn't understand what the plan was and I had to ask and I think that's okay. But there's a there's a large component of Christendom that that says you don't ever get to ask God those questions. And I disagree with that. I think you have to have those conversations. Well, isn't there there's a, a sentence in the New Testament, I don't know where it is, in the gospel it says, "I believe help thou mine unbelief." Yeah. Where and I think that's the same thing as here. He, uh, Abraham's going to God and says, I know you're God. I know what you promised, but I don't get it. And wouldn't we have to throw out most of the Psalms or a lot of the Psalms because of the Certainly. questions asked? Yeah, my, my favorite Psalms are the imprecatory ones where, where he, he doesn't understand what's going on, but he wants God to nuke them. Yeah. 
if if Abraham was sinning, I think the way that this was worded would sound much harsher or angry or something. This to me just sounds like, hey, God, I'm talking to you. I'm not getting it. We uh, we had some references to it in our Sunday school this past week. What uh, Dr. Tackett said in uh, in the uh, Truth Project, do you really believe what you believe is really real? See, that's the issue that we need to deal with. Do we really believe that God's promises are real? We say we do, but do we really believe it? And and the the uh, great philosopher and theologian uh, Charles N. Hambling, uh, the third or second, junior, junior, okay, uh, once said, "It's it's not my theology; it's my psychology." So I think Abraham was kind of in that situation. His theology, I think, was always solid. His psychology was, "Hey, God, I, I we're like old now, okay? The time of bearing children for us is over." <clears throat> so I, I don't get it. So there's a there's a theological component that I think is never for Abraham was never in question, but there's I think probably a psychological component, and we all suffer that. Mm-hmm. Um, we all believe God is absolutely sovereign, but we we worry about stuff. Those are those are incongruent philosophical positions to be in. God is sovereign, but why? But we worry. That's that's nuts. Because <laughs> if you really believe that God is sovereign, and if you really believe His promise that He's going to care for you and His, you will get His best. Why do we worry? Because I can explain that. Because if you think about the believers in in poor third world countries that have no food and are persecuted, and that's God's best, and you don't want that, then then you can understand why your psychology isn't following your theology. Right, right. But we we do that as well. It doesn't. You don't have to be um, persecuted, uh, starving Christians. No, that's for why that. I say that. For me, I don't want what they got, so I don't want God's best for me if it looks like that. <laughs> so. <laughs> Trina, were you going to say something? No, Elaine was. Oh. I just said because we're human. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So those uh, those folks that tell you you can't question God obviously don't believe what they say. Because I think we well, have I think, to. I think it's natural that we, when we ask for stuff, we wait for a while, but... We get impatient too. We don't want to wait right. for his time. We want our time, and I think that's what a lot of people, you know, you mean. <coughs> right? Uh, you know, it's been twelve years. So where is it happening at? Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. Very good. Good discussion. Okay. Read Genesis twenty-one one through seven. What principle? I should have put principles parentheses, principles, uh, can you derive from this passage? Genesis uh, 21, 1 through 7. God, oops, did I, I didn't put it in there. Oh my goodness. Let me pull it up real quick. 21, 1. Okay, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. 
Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And, he, and she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old. I have borne him a son in his old age. What principles would you derive from this passage? God answers his prayer promises. Okay, God keeps his promises. Very good. God is in control of circumstances he can go beyond what we consider are the laws of nature okay trina got my first one so i put it up on the screen <laughs> good job katrina <laughs> and i i guess mary sort of got my second one God can do and God uh, can and does do the impossible. You can't have babies at 90 when you don't have female issues anymore. Can back then? When God says so. Yeah. What else? What was the birth of Isaac to Abraham and Sarah, besides an answered promise? The heir that Abraham would um, then have the father of the nations. Mm -hmm. They would go be the father of all the nations. Well, Isaac would only be the father of one nation. Ishmael was the father of many nations. Yeah, but he promised Abraham the... the Whatever I can't think of what it is, but yeah. all the numeral people, numerous people right. would be the, the Jews numbering the stars of the sky. Go ahead, Linda. I was going to say he would see it as an out and out miracle that this is just an impossibility. This can't happen. Yeah. He was the he was the fulfillment of the covenant. Covenant. Yeah, I, I think I think God. Uh, uh, blesses those who trust him and wait on his timing. You know, we we just had looked at a passage where he was, God, I don't get it. I don't know how you're going to do this because we're like old farts and we're not having babies anymore. So I don't get what's going on here. And God blessed him with the son of promise as he had promised. And you could, there's, there's all sorts of others. You could uh, argue that... Uh, um, there was obedience there. Abraham circumcised um, Isaac after the eighth day. Um, there, there's all sorts of principles, but these are the three ones that stuck out to me. God always keeps his promises, even when it seems impossible. God can and does do the impossible, and God blesses those who trust him and wait on in his timing. I don't yes. get the laughter part. What is the laughter for Sarah? I mean, well, everyone who hears will laugh over me. Yeah, that that goes back to, 
to uh, what happened when Sarah overheard Abraham being told that she would have a baby. She's she's over in the corner going, yeah, right. Yeah, she laughed. Right, and so this is a play on that. Well, wouldn't a play on that, but wouldn't wouldn't that be joyful laughter for yeah. friends? And she are rejoicing in this miracle? Exactly. Okay, okay. I don't know if I was a woman at 90 years old that I'd be rejoicing. In something like that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, yeah, there is that. But Let me just say, as, uh, as uh, part of the team that keeps Harper five days a week, old people should not have babies. <laughs> <laughs> you are absolutely correct, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> just <Yeah>. saying. <laughs> I know, I really feel, you know, all the grandparents that adopt or have to take care permanently 24 hours a day, their grandchildren, because parents leave the picture, whatever, I don't know how they do it. Yeah, Pastor Gerardo Layton up in Tampa, he has one son, I think is 19, and a daughter that's 15 or something like that. Just to adopt, just adopted a six-year-old and a and a two-year-old. How old is he? Fifty some. Just had a heart attack. Just had, yeah. just had a a serious heart attack. Um. Oh, I don't know, eight weeks ago or something like that. And fortunately, their church building is across the street from a from a uh, hospital, and he was out working in the yard at the church building and and didn't feel so good and somebody was there with him he said will you take me home and so Gerardo called his wife and said uh, that he was going home he didn't feel good and his wife said look you don't take medicine you don't ever get sick you don't ever leave work for that that uh, because you're sick go right to the hospital across the street and he was mm -hmm. having a major heart attack and they ended up doing emergency surgery and and putting in he was 99 percent blocked in oh, like three or four uh arteries but they just finalized the adoption of uh, of a six-year-old and a two-year-old yeah. nuts i could not do that no no me neither no it takes various people that can do that and i i'm not one of them okay here's another question read genesis 22 1 through 9 how would you reconcile this command from God, given that God has prohibited human sacrifice? Obviously, what I'm talking about is the offering of Isaac. Genesis 22, 1 through 9. And after these things, uh, uh, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abram, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering as one of the mountains on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took his took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go after, go, go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the uh, wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand 
in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Hey, Dad. He said, Here am I. My son said, Look, we got the fire. We got the wood. Where's the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built there an altar and laid wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. You shall not give... Oops. Sorry. Went too far. So there, there's Abraham going up to uh, Mount Moriah and uh, and being willing to offer his son. Now here, here are the... Here are the passages that God gives that prohibit that kind of stuff. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch, so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. That's in uh, Leviticus. Exodus uh, 28, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 28. Son of man, rise, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord of God. You, oops, wrong one. Um... Wow, how did I get that in there? Deuteronomy 18.10 There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens. Well, I don't have the other verse either. Uh, Jeremiah 7.31 And they have built the high places of Topheth, which is the valley of the son of Hinnom. 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 Talk much? To burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. So these verses are pretty clear. Don't toast your kids. Don't toast anybody. So how do we reconcile God telling Abraham to uh, to go and uh, sacrifice his son? In each of those passages, he, he was considered, uh, they were... Worship, sending them to false idols and to Moloch and to false gods, not to the true God. Interesting. That's an interesting take. I, I had not considered mm -hmm. that the object of the sacrifice was the important one. That that solves the problem for me. Thanks, Linda. That solves a problem for me because <laughs> G, uh, the Father's own sacrifice of Jesus seems to be a conflict with, with uh, what he said, right? So that, that looks at these passages differently. It's not the sacrifice, it's the it's to whom the sacrifice was made. Very interesting. I'll have to ruminate on that for a while. But wasn't God really tested Abraham to see how how if he really did believe the faith by telling him to sacrifice Isaac, but he knew that God would provide? Well that that is that is uh Where is it here? Um, verse 22. And after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. So, yeah, it is a test, but who's the test for? Was God, for trying, to, was God, was God trying to find out whether or not Abraham believed? No. No. God knew. He was trying to he was trying to show Abraham what he believed. Trina, but do you I think, think that, more importantly 
Trina, do you think that's right? Trina, do you think that's right? I think he was making sure Abraham really believed, but he was also trying to prove to Isaac, maybe, his faith, and that that God was going to provide the sacrifice, so he did have to sacrifice Isaac. You, you think that God was trying to make sure that Abraham had faith? Yeah. Think about what you're saying. <laughs> you've, you've put yourself in a trick bag. <laughs> well, I want to do. <laughs> because if God didn't know and he had to test him to find out, he's no longer um, right. omniscient, <laughs> right? Yeah. Sovereign. So he had to know already because there's nothing he doesn't know that is knowable. Right. So if God already knew, then then the point couldn't be so he would learn it. What Mary said, I think, so, is right, that there was, but you added to what Mary said something that's very important. He was doing it for Abraham, but he was also doing it for Isaac. Isaac. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Be- because Isaac was, the, Isaac was the guy that was going to have to carry it on and, right. uh, and instill that in his... Uh, in uh, Jacob and Esau so that it would get instilled in the in the 12 sons of Jacob I do not understand how Isaac agreed to be tied up and put on the altar yeah I, I think, think of, hey, yeah I, I think there's a lot of the passage that we don't know mm-hmm. I, I I don't I don't remember exactly I think Isaac was 12 or 13 years old by this time. And so, so Abraham's what? 113 years old. Exactly. Who can take whom here? So either Isaac was just an obedient, compliant child, which I think probably is not the case, or... At age, you know. <laughs> yeah, Especially right. So... So there's a, there's a part of this that we don't get yet. And uh, how do we reconcile then? I think Linda's point is very well taken and messes up my rest of my points. But why would Abraham not be bound by um, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Jeremiah? Because they hadn't been said yet. Right. God hadn't instituted those rules yet. Is another thing to consider. Now, you can't go very far down that path without saying God changes his mind of what's sin and what isn't. So, that takes us back to Linda's point, which I really like, and I wish she'd told me that this afternoon. a <laughs> Harvard <laughs> president? Well... Go ahead, Ann. Well, I was going to say, and you're probably going to have something to say about what I'm going to say, but anyway, I'll say it. <laughs> um, the comment that Mary said that, that these uh, verses from Leviticus and Deuteronomy and so forth, hadn't those decrees from God hadn't been made yet since Abraham came before, but... 
wasn't it still sin even though we didn't have the law? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that's what I said. We can't go very far down this road without it appearing like God is changing his mind of what sin. Yeah. You know, sin in the Old Testament is still sin in the New Testament. So we can't we can't use that as a as much of a defense. We can use it as a defense that Abraham didn't know these passages. But yeah. that doesn't change I'm not concerned about Abraham's response to it. I'm concerned with how does God rationalize telling people that they can't offer human sacrifices when he off when he tells Abraham to offer a human sacrifice. And then to extend what Linda said, and he offered his own son as a sacrifice. Exactly. That's the redeeming value of Isaac being almost offered, is it sets a a precedence of sorts for Jesus to be offered. I have written beside mine in purple ink, which means I wrote it this week, type of Christ, only son as a sacrifice. And that's the first time I've looked at this passage and said, well, maybe there's a redeeming factor to it because it's always been a passage I don't like. Right. Now, we, we, have, to, we have to consider here that this is 13 years after Isaac is born, which was 13 years after Ishmael was born. So was Isaac truly his only son? No. But he was the only son of promise. And every time we see God talking about Isaac, we see him as the son of promise. And he's not the son of sin. And so Isaac or Ishmael is disqualified from being the 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 heir because he wasn't the one that God had appointed for him for uh, Abraham. Uh, thank you, Linda. You're gonna. If I don't sleep tonight, it's your fault. <laughs> then I've done my job, right? <laughs> oh wow! Throwing, throwing me at me—that ain't right. <laughs> yes, it is. Good wow! Job, <laughs> Holy cow! <laughs> I'm trying to. Trying to find my next question here. I've got them all messed up right now. I've got a bunch of verses in there that shouldn't be there. Okay, here we go. Read Genesis 25, 29 through 34. What is a birthright? Once uh, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of the red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom, which means red. Uh, Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold him his birthright sold his birthright to Jacob then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went his way thus Esau despised his birthright what is a birthright that he gets a double portion because he's the oldest 
more than that. So I also will be the head of the family. Yeah, exactly. That's the that's the main part is that he will be the head of the family. He he is the heir apparent, and when you talk about this, doesn't make sense to us because we're not really uh, patriarchal and tribal. But in those societies that are very patriarchal and tribal, it makes a big deal. If you're not the oldest, you get to play second fiddle all the time. And you know the old story that if you're not the lead dog, the the uh, view is always the same. And so, well, for, go ahead. It's, it's like what we see today in the British monarchy. You know, Charles maybe wasn't the brightest bulb in the box, but he was the firstborn, so he's king. Yeah. Right? Is that, that, was that his birthright? Yeah. This thing? Yeah, competition yes, for Charles wasn't real. And we see it played out even further because that's what the whole business is between the feud between William and Henry. Um, because Henry's the spare. Uh, yep. Charles isn't the brightest, but his competition wasn't real bright either, so. Yeah. <laughs> Edward's brighter than he is. The third son. A birthright was the honor given to the firstborn bestowing head of household status and the right to inherit the father's estate. Everybody else gets a fraction. Um, the the head of household gets it all, and the others just get a, a small portion of it. Uh, the son with the birthright would receive a double portion of whatever was passed down. Yet even before the twins were born, the Lord predicted that Esau would serve Jacob. Later in Genesis 25, Esau sold his birthright, giving up for a meal because he was hungry. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. When time came for Isaac to bless his son, Jacob deceived his father into giving him Esau's blessing instead of giving it to, to, uh, to Esau. So not only did he steal his birthright, he also uh, stole his blessing. A blessing would, could be given regardless of birthright. However, a greater blessing was given to the one who held the birthright. After Jacob's deception, Esau complained that he took my birthright, and now he's taking my blessing. Esau begged his father for some type of blessing to be given to him, and he did receive a secondary inferior blessing. So, we, we see this same thing happen again with Jacob himself reversing the order of Joseph's kids. We see in the bloodline of Jesus several times where the oldest is not necessarily the, the one that the line follows. So why particularly between Jacob and Esau this was done? I, I don't I don't have a good theological answer for why God did it this way. Why there were several in the line that weren't the uh, the birthright heirs, um, I don't know. Other than for God to say, it we, I do things my way, not not the normal way. Might have been character. They all well, were characters. Jacob, Jacob wasn't a man of faith. 
Say mm-hmm. that again, uh, Trina. Did they both have the faith? Believed in the Lord, or did just did Esau trust the Lord for? I, I would argue neither of them uh, were good followers. Esau was uh, was a wild man doing his own thing, married several uh, Egyptian, as I recall, wives. But uh, uh, Jacob, what? How did I refer to him when I was preaching through Genesis? A paisley wearing mama's boy. He he yeah. was he was not he was not a good guy either, and. Uh, he needed to have some, some significant uh, face-to-face time with God, i.e. wrestling with God and, and getting his hip broken um, before he changed his, his attitude. And uh, that was after quite a while. Um, Jacob was a deceiver. Um, and he did that even with his father-in-law Laban. He, uh, he deceived and wasn't always upright. Um, yeah, but that was a two-way street. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Laban deserved <laughs> even more. I just don't know how you love one woman and you go to bed and you don't know that it's another woman. I don't know how that works. He was drunk. Well, could be. But it's goofy. It's what it is. I can I can admit I've been seriously drunk. I don't think I've ever been that drunk. Anyway, um, one last question. One last question. This is a good one. How would you use Psalm nine to worship? Put it to music and sing it. <laughs> okay. First, let me say that uh, Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 in uh, the Septuagint are linked together as one psalm. And together they form a, uh, a Hebrew alphabet acrostic. Uh, every other verse starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. But I think there's ample reason to have these two separated if if they're if they are together one's one's upbeat and the other's downbeat but i i would look at uh i reading through the reason i asked this question is because as i was reading through or listening through it and reading it this morning i will give thanks to the lord of my whole heart i will recount all your wonderful deeds it is worshipful for us to think about all the things that god has done for us and I will be glad and exalt you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat me on a throne, given righteous judgment. God's taking care of David. Um, when... Uh, you have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. The cities you rooted out, the very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. 
He has established his throne for justice. He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. Do you ever just worship God through, through his attributes? Thinking about who he is, what he does, how he does it. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put your, their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits, on, who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount your, all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. Just, I, I think some of these psalms are, are great times of worship, and others, like if you go on to, verse, to chapter 10, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself from me in times of trouble? You know, the, the, they are different ideas, but there are a lot of these psalms that just reading them seems to be worshipful. But can you imagine if you went into a church today and you sang Psalm 9, they would look like at you like you were out of your mind because they wouldn't be able to relate to it. We can because we know the word and we know what it's about. But some of these Sunday pew sitters would just look at you like you've lost your mind. Yeah. I just wish we had some way to know what these sounded like. What tunes are with them? That would be awesome. When the cantor leads in these, how was it, how did it go? I wish I had that. I, I hope when we get to heaven, we have that ability. To be in the temple and to hear the choir master that David wrote this for leading the choir with, with, a, with the stringed instruments and with all the things that um, we, we don't necessarily know what Muthleben is. We know it's a, 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 a musical term of worship, but we don't know how, what it means. What did this sound like, and and how did it go? And that would be cool. Anyway, I know full of that. Um, and we were talking about um, Rosaria Butterfield and her husband. Mm -hmm. They popped up in that. Um, they belong to the uh, Reformed Presbyterian Church, and they don't use musical instruments and. Their psalm, the psalms are their hymn book. They sing, that's all they sing. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that would be, I'll have to bring it to you there. I think there's some resources if you wanted to get music and so forth. Oh, I'd love to hear that, yeah. Okay, questions, comments? When you have figured out Isaac, let me know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I ever will. It's not a passage I like. 
Well, there's lots of those passages I don't like. I love them all, but I, some I don't like. Yeah, I mean, I've, it's never stopped me from reading or studying or thinking about it, but I don't understand it at all. Nor yeah. do I understand how Abraham could do it. <coughs> no matter how much I think about it, I could not. I cannot think about how I could ever have put Jonathan or Malise on an altar. Ready well, to put I, fire to him. I think it's clear that he trusted God in that because he said, "We're going to go up there, and we will be back." I, I think it's clear he trusted God. If if he did execute him, he he I think believed that God would raise him up. Uh, yeah. But I don't. I still don't think I could have done it. I couldn't. <clears throat> mm -mm. Yeah. Well, I don't know. There's there's been times I wanted to. I would have been wanting to put mine on the altar and. Yeah, but not to sacrifice. You, you're, you were more no, intent no, no. at that point to execute. That I get. I completely understand that emotion. <coughs> but to sacrifice—that's a different story. Okay, that Chuck. That shows you that Abraham's faith is much better than mine. Yeah, well, you got to do something about that. <sighs> yeah, try, but... Go ahead, Chuck. Yeah, all right. Thank you, guys. This was a fun discussion tonight. This was um, great interaction through, through all of us. Lord, we pray that <coughs> we would challenge our own faith um, as we study your word, as we live our life. Um, to see where we're not being faithful as we look at at Abram and, and say he wasn't. That we would um, hold that mirror to ourselves and challenge ourselves to, to be more and more and more sold out to you and that we put our trust in you. God, give us a great week. Amen. Thank you all. Yep. Thank you for watching or listening to this teaching on demand from Friendship Grace Brethren Church. Please consider sending us an email at info at friendshipgracebrethren.com to let us know how this teaching may have helped you. Please also consider joining us in person at Friendship Grace Brethren Church, located at 10251 Metro Parkway, Suite 116, Fort Myers, Florida, just south of the intersection of Metro and Colonial Boulevard. Sunday school begins at 9 and worship service at 10 a.m. We look forward to seeing you in person at Friendship Grace Brethren Church.